But going back, going back a couple of uh, few years ago, you might think today the message that I'm bringing is my farewell message, but it's not. I just felt the Lord draw me to this particular passage this week. And it's, it's, I've entitled it, I Love This Family of God. That's a portrait of my family. And... Um, <laughs> Well, when you think about it, Jesus rode on a donkey and he used a donkey to, uh, prof- to prophesy in the, in the Old Testament. So I'm happy to be a class as a donkey, but uh, I thought you might, like, you might like that one. I won't say which is the children and which is uh, Anne and myself. But, but I, I remember going back an, a number of years ago and, uh, and it was my custom in those days. I am so blessed by this church with the diaconate who open up the church and close the church and turn the heaters on and the air conditioning on. In the church that I was in, we had to do all of that. I had to do all of that. And it was a church that was actually bigger than this one. Uh, so it's quite amazing. I, and I'm blessed uh, the way you guys uh, do that. But I, I came in on this particular occasion to turn the heaters on and I used to turn the, the PA on and the data projector and all that type of thing just to get it all up and running. And then I made a, a bit of a canter over to the, the Sunday school area, which was kind of like the powerhouse, but it was connected over onto the church. So you had to go through the uh, function room and into, into the Sunday school. You probably remember this, Brandon, because you were there for a while. And um, I wasn't expecting anybody to be there. Normally, I was always there on my own for the first half an hour or something like that. And as I walked past, there was a, a lady that went past me and I went, oh, hi, sister. And she smiled and turned around for a bit and she said, I don't know your sister. How is she? Like that. And I stopped with a, with a bit of a twinkle in my eyes and no, I mean, you know, I'm your brother and you're, you're my sister. So, you know, how are you? That type of thing. We both had a bit of a laugh and she admitted that her thoughts weren't kind of on what I was saying and I wasn't expecting her there as well. I often say to people like that, even when I come in uh, during the week or whatever, say, yeah, hi, sister, hi, brother. Sometimes it's because I can't remember people's names and uh, things like that. What are you, what are you uh, nodding at for? <laughs> because she knows. That's right. Exactly. And it is sometimes, it's, it is difficult when you come into a new church and everybody knows you by name, but you don't know everybody else by name. But that's all right. And we get away with that. But that same, that same morning when I eventually got to my office in the church, uh, I was greeted by, by one of the, the leadership who had, who had come especially to pray for me for God's grace and power to be, be released through the, the sermon that I was going to preach that morning. And he greeted me with words that, that kind of were a tone with a, a manly affection but affirmation, particularly when he said, my brother Paul, my brother Paul, God bless you. How are you this morning? And I really felt something good about that. And later I, I reflected upon those, those two expectations. I realized again God's intention for his people, God's absolute intention for his people, because we are to share mutual love with one another and encouragement, which kind of exemplifies, if you like, by, by, by immersingly and immensely superseded by the love of brothers and sisters. Absolutely. As brothers 
and sisters, we need to be able to share in that love, in that big wide family that we have. And as Max said, worldwide we have. And as I sought the Lord again this past couple of weeks as I've been looking for today, I was drawn to a thought that I hadn't quite really seen before. And I believe that over a number of years now, the, the church has talked a lot about unity. And most of you will have heard over and over again how we need to have unity in the church. It's a big, big topic. We continually pray for it. We talk about it. We even have special discussions over time about it. But in actual fact, you can never have unity until you actually understand what it is to love and to respect one another. That's where unity comes. Jesus so often went beyond the world's thinking, didn't he? He so often went outside of the box when it came to his particular styles of teaching. And these disciples of Jesus, they knew all the rules, they knew all the regulations that had been placed upon them by the, by the church or, the, or the, uh, the, the temple and how they should live and how they should act, and all those types of things. But as you look at the life of the Pharisees, they bound people up with their rules and their regulations. And if they didn't have a rule for you or a regulation for you, they would make one up just so it would apply to your situation. And Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What many churches seek in respect to unity is in actual fact not, not unity at all, but conformity. You need to think like I do. You need to do the things that I do. You need to dress like I do. You need to be at every function that the church holds. And if you do all these things, we'll have unity. So you need to jump when I jump. You need to bow when I bow. You need, and I've seen churches on, in the televisions and even when I've, I've gone to some of the big churches, some of them, they all act like the pastor or they all dress like the worship leader. And they say, we've got unity. That's not unity, that's just conformity. This passage that, that we had read to us this morning has brought some things alive for me recently, even in my own family. We have three children and five, five grandchildren, five grandchildren, five grandchildren. Oh, man. I'll never live that down, you know, unless it comes true. And if it becomes true, I'm coming back to tell you, all right? <laughs> because we all live in different parts of, of, the, of our state of Victoria. We're, we're kind of wide apart, particularly with, with Annie and myself in, in interim ministry. We've moved around quite a lot in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. But let me tell you something. There are some things about them that I don't agree with, what they believe, what they do, things that they do or say, 
we're not sometimes on the same page when it comes to theology either. But I can tell you up front here today, regardless of our differences, I love them very much. I love them very much. And I would do anything, anything for them. Why? Because we're family. We're family. And it's the same in the church. There are times when we will not agree with each other, either theologically We may not be on the same page when it comes to philosophy of how to run church or do church and all those types of things or how people should worship. Maybe we're on the same page or not on the same page when we say, look, people should raise their hands. Oh, no, they shouldn't. We may not be on the same page. Folks, let me just say very graciously today, it doesn't matter when it comes to external things. To whether I raised my hands, to whether I put myself on my knees, to whether I lay prostrate on the ground, to whether I stand with my arms crossed, to whatever it might be, doesn't matter. So many churches split over trivial because we want our agenda fulfilled all in the name of this so-called unity, but showing very little love in resolving it all. One of the things that I love about the Baptist churches and we don't often move in it is getting on the same page. We talk about I want to know and discern the will of God. But if you don't agree with me, I leave. Or I'll stand up and fight it. That's not unity. That's saying I want you to agree with me. Sometimes in the family unit, our children, I'm sure your children have asked the same as what my children have asked. Why, why do I have to do it this way? My stock answer was because I said so. Because that's the way my parents taught me how to do it, so you'll do it that way. Bring that into the church and we do similar things. When people sometimes ask, why do we do church this way? Because we're Baptist. This is how we've done it for years. Or we do it differently here. Have you ever noticed how things get distorted as it goes down from generation to generation. Have you ever noticed that? You can, even say, you can even notice that in our denomination and in any other denomination. I remember reading a book by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. <clears throat> and he said, if you have 100 concert pianos and you tune the second piano to the first and the third piano to the second and the fourth piano to the third until you've tuned all 100 pianos accordingly, you will still have discord and disharmony. But if you tuned each piano to the same tuning fork, you'll have harmony. You'll have harmony or unity. So it is in the body of Christ. If we each tune ourselves to the pastor or to some elder or some great person, that won't give you unity. That'll give you conformity. 
But what you need to do is we need to tune ourselves to the tuning fork, which is Jesus. We've got to understand his way of life. We've got to understand how he operated in life. Because none of us are perfect, are we? None of us are perfect. Webster's Dictionary describes unity as a combination of separate parts into a connected whole or different people with common aims. The Apostle Paul put it slightly different terms when he said in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So we're one body. Verse 14, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he's pleased. So God's done that. He's placed us together. Verse 25, but God has uh, composed that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. It's interesting. I've noticed over the years, and I'm sure you have, whenever you've, I don't know if you've ever hit your thumb or your little finger, what happens? Is that what you do? Oh, you might, some might suck it or whatever, it doesn't matter. But it, you surround that area because it's, it's painful, it's hurting. And that's what the body does. That's what the body of Christ does. When one hurts, the others need to come around and support and comfort, that type of thing. Then he goes on to list a number of gifts that the church operates in. Apostles, <clears throat> prophets, teachers, Miracles, healings, helps, administration, and tongues. Do you ever work out what, what helps are for? It took me years to work out that. I thought helps were, uh, I'll just uh, help you in the kitchen afterwards. And, and that is true too. That's right. But as I started to unpack that and start to understand the, the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the whatever's and the, and the Italians and whatever else around what the meaning of the word is, the meaning of the word actually is the old ships as they'd go, as they would, uh, as they'd go out on the high seas and it got, got so rough, a storm had came in, they would then ask the sailors to grab hold of some ropes and they would dive out one side of the ship and come under the other, up the other side and they would tie the ropes together. They were called helps. So what it is, it means that we tie each other together. When something is falling apart, the helps come around and they undergird. They undergird you. They undergird even the church and they're known as helps. And there are people in the church who have got the gift of helps, of coming and undergirding and tying together so that you don't fall apart or we don't fall apart, even as a church. And Paul goes on to say that not everyone is a prophet. Hallelujah. Not everybody is a teacher or has the gift of helps. 
but he says, but earnestly desires the best gifts. Then he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Isn't that interesting? We've got all these gifts of the Spirit that the church is able to operate in and we need to operate in them. We need to recognise those people who have got these particular gifts and there's a number of them listed there in 1 Corinthians 12. But he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. In other words, it's great to have all the gifts. It's great to have them operating in the church or the body of Christ. And you will probably keep growing. But Paul says there's something better than all of that. And he addresses it in chapter 13 when he says, even though you have all these gifts, But if you don't have love, love for one another, you are like a clanging cymbals or a noisy ringing bell. Put it up as loud as you can. Did you hear what I said? We can be operating in all the gifts that you like, but if my life is not adding up to that I love you and love you unconditionally, then it's like a sounding gong of a bell. In other words, you can be saying the lot, but nobody can hear you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And that goes for pastors as well, by the way, big time. If my life is not adding up to what I'm preaching about, and I want to tell you something, folks, I try very hard not to preach on something that I don't agree with in my own life. In other words, if I'm not living up to the lifestyle that I'm about to preach on, then I will not preach on it because it'll be like a sounding gong and you won't hear a word that I'm saying. In fact, he says in chapter 13, until then, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Robert Browning, a great uh, writer, says, take away love and our earth is a tomb. I've got a feeling that's hell. Take away love and you'll be living in hell. Because love is the very essence of God. Perez says, love is bold, respect is timid. Francis de Sales said, we cannot help conforming ourselves to what we love. Isn't that interesting? So if I love money, I'll conform myself to it. If I love the job, that, and don't get me wrong when I'm saying this, but if I love my job more than anything else, that's where it'll go. But if I love Jesus then I'll conform myself to him. He also said love is the abridgment of all theology, and I agree with that. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There are times in our lives that we can never be repeated for for many, many reasons, but there are other times we need to take the opportunity of expressing our love to those around us. Going back about seven years ago, I, I had the wonderful privilege um, 
of, uh, of sharing time with several ministers, one of them being an Aboriginal man by the name of Abraham. He was a precious brother in the Lord, a real precious brother. And afterwards, we met for prayer and fellowship in, in our home uh, for a cup of coffee. And then we made our way out. After that time, we made our way out. But as we did, Abraham and myself just embraced. And in unison, we both said, I love you, brother. I love you. And I want to tell you, folks, it was a real God moment, a real God moment. You see, when Jesus said to the inquirer who came from the outside to let, let him know that his mother and brothers were outside, he wasn't being disrespectful. He wasn't being disrespectful at all, but he was trying to get them to the point of a bigger understanding, the bigger picture of his mission. You see, he wasn't saying, I haven't got an earthly family. He wasn't saying that at all. What he was saying is, I have an earthly family. There they are. But I've also got a bigger family that is a heavenly, a spiritual family. And he's saying, yes, they are my mothers and brothers out there, but you are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. He was saying, this is my spiritual family, which one day are going to be caught up to be with him for eternity. Because he looked at the crowd and he said, here are my mothers, here are my brothers and sisters. You see, when you ask Jesus Christ into your life, he not only becomes your saviour and Lord of your life, but he also becomes your brother. Because the Bible says we're joint heirs. We're heirs of the Father and joint heirs with the Son. In other words, we are family. Whether you like it or not, we're family. You inherited me and I inherited you. Isn't that interesting? When I got married, I inherited a crazy family. They're all crazy, except for Anne. I picked the best. They don't watch, it's all right. (laughs) But you do. When you got married, you inherited your husband or your wife's family. Whether you like them or not, it's got no relevance at all. You inherited them. They are part of your family. Same principle should apply as it does in the natural with the spiritual family. So when, when, uh, when you became a Christian, how old were you when you became a Christian? 42. 42, no. 10. 6. So when Alicia became a born-again Christian, she became a part of the wider family of God. It wasn't just the family in Koran. She became a part of the wider family of Christians. And that's the beautiful part that we inherit God's family. And sometimes some of them are not nice. Some of them are wonderful. But we inherit them. And the Bible says, I must love them. I must love them regardless. One writer said that the church is not a channel of, of inspiration for un, uninvolved observers, but a, commu- a communion of involved participants. Did you understand that? That when we become a part of the family of God, we're not just uninvolved participants. You can't do that. We have to become involved in the family of God, in the family of God. You know, 
there's so much that we can do as a part of the family. It's not just here in church, but there's plenty that we can do out there as well. But we need to be involved to do that. In actual fact, many times our language betrays us because we say things like, I go to church. I give to the church. I I support the vision of the church. But we are the church. You are the church. We are the church together as a family. What has happened over the years is that we've become sermon tasters, music appreciators, Bible students, devotees of spiritual leaders, but without a commitment to the family. One of the things, and we were talking, some, a few of us were talking about this earlier on this, this morning before the service, is that so often in a big church, it's really hard to connect as a family. We become observers. We're spectators because, you know, it's like the worship team in all their array get up the front and they say, if you want to worship, come with us. Whereas in a smaller church like we are at, at, at the moment, it's like we're kind of a family where we're all participating and we, we worship together. We want, to, we want to sing together. We want to worship together. We want to be a, a part of each other. It's something beautiful about it. I firmly believe that we think that it is possible to actually assume that we have Jesus without, without his family of faith. We can't do that. What... What it does, of course, is that if we, if we don't adopt the family, we opt out so often when things get going the wrong way or the way I don't want it to go. What that does, it literally puts the church into the category of a spiritual supermarket. Rather than a fellowship or family, there is a sense that we, we, our need for family feeling is never satisfied, you see. But it can be multiplied if, it's, if we're liberated. Hmm. And that happens when our love for one another frees us to love deeply, to love deeply and richly. And there are people who are disconnected in our community, dissatisfied, uninvolved, and feeling unloved in the community, maybe even here. I want to leave you with some practical suggestions. Next time, I want you to look in a mirror. And tell yourself, I love you. Have you ever done that? It's not easy to do. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I actually love you. It's not a pride thing. It's biblical that you love yourself so that you can love your neighbor and love others. You know, for a long time... I found that so difficult to do, so difficult. It's interesting now at a, um, at a, a marriage service that I will conduct and Anne will back me up on this is that I will often say to the congregation, did you say to your wife or to your husband this morning, I love you? And you can see the heads go down or... As one guy said, I told my wife I loved her when I got married, and if it changes, I'll let her know. (laughs) But we need to learn to use those words, I love you. 
Not only myself, but I love you. I love you. I love you. Together, as husband and wife, we need to say that. Thirdly, be to someone what Christ has been to you. What does Christ mean to you? How has Christ helped you in your Christian experience or even maybe before? Fourthly, be honest about your feelings. Be honest about your feelings. Hidden feelings can hurt people. There's no doubt about that. But exposed feelings can actually be forgiven. That's the interesting part about it. Often we hide our feelings of pain and hurt, but nobody else knows. Reading a book at the moment, Linda, you gave it to us. Putting on the mask, I'm okay, I'm fine. And then we get home and we take the mask off and all of a sudden we figure out who I really am, which people don't see. Fifthly, pray with someone this week that you love. I just want to challenge you in that. Not your wife or your husband, but pray with somebody that you really love and just say, look, why don't we pray together? Why don't we just pray together? Sixthly, let go of personal rights that you think that you may have. I believe when we become a Christian, we put aside our personal rights for the sake of the kingdom. Then seven, open your home to someone this week and bless them. Open your home to somebody and just bless them. I remember so well asking my children a number of years ago, how much do you love me? And they'd go, oh, about that much. And i go, well, I love you that much. And then eventually as they grew, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then my second daughter would always say, oh, Dad, I love you to the moon and back. And so my now request, my comeback is I love you to Mars and back. It's further. Uh, we just keep going and going and going. You know what I mean? You know what Jesus said? You know how much Jesus loved me? I love you that much. Where he hung upon a cross and died for the sin of the world. Your sin and my sin. That's what communion's all about, isn't it? What we heard this morning through Max is that Jesus was able, through his shed blood and his body broken, was enabled to draw us into a relationship with the Heavenly Father, with God himself. And I love that passage where he went into hell for us and ministered to those in hell for us. Yes, he has been to hell and back. There's a song, and I want to finish on this, that we used to sing many, many, many years ago, and I've just changed it to be a bit personal today. It says, I love this family of God so closely knitted into one. You've taken us into your hearts and we're so glad to be a part of this great family of God. That's Anne and myself, our message to you. We love this family. We've come to love you people very much. And it's going to be hard for us to leave. Yes, it is. We're not going yet. Don't worry. I'm going to annoy you a little bit longer. Um, but whoever follows here is coming into a blessed family, a great family of God. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you that you decided that you wanted a family here to start with on earth, that you could draw back into your heavenly kingdom. And Lord, we know that you started off with Adam and Eve and now we see the world today with its billions of people. And your desire is, Lord, your desire is that all would come to know you, all would come to have faith in you. And Lord, we're praying that each day that you would give us opportunity to share your story with people and the story that you've given to us of our lives, of how you you came in and you forgave us of our sin and you've made us joint heirs with you. We're a family. Lord, I bless you for this family here in Kerrang. And I know it's wider, Lord. It's a big, 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 big family. But I want to thank you for this part of the vineyard here, that, Lord, that they embrace people. They just want to see the best in people's lives. And, Lord, yes, all of us have got this opportunity to love more, to share our love with others around us, even within ourselves. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do that. We don't want to be sounding gongs and ringing bells, Lord. We just want to be who you want us to be. Help us to understand that, that purpose that you have for us, that plan that you have, not only for individuals here, Lord, but for this church as we grow in you, as we open up our hearts and our lives to you, Lord. And even as we share in a cup of coffee later, Lord, this has been a part of our vision too. And we bless you uh, for a guy like Marza, our God, who's gone out of his way to help us and to uh, get hold of this machine that we'll enjoy today. Lord, it's a part of our vision. It's a part of connecting people to different ones. And Lord, I'm praying for the the, the play group and the youth group and the children's ministry, Lord, who will um, have an opportunity of connecting with parents, mums and dads. And Lord, it's just going to be a, a wonderful experience for us all. So Lord, uh, join us together. Bless us as we bless you, Lord, to bless others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.